introducing Jeff Spencer, who's someone that I had um, on uh, Derek's, Derek and I's podcast a while ago, and I was just so blown <clears> away uh, by his honesty, by his delivery. Um, you have been in the industry for how long right now, doing what you're doing? Man, it's Give us some like, background yeah, yeah, well, so I was an Olympian. Uh, well, actually, my first, uh, actually, where it all started, in 1964, I won all races international championship here in New York and I got the silver medal because I got disqualified because the judge's uh, uncle his nephew was the guy that won due to my disqualification so that was kind of my first exposure to it's just the way I'm from Southern California right so uh, but you know that's kind of where it all started and I had this aspiration when I was seven to become an Olympian I thought that'd be the coolest thing ever to march into the parade. And I was just a very athletic kid and anything that uh, challenged me to see what was possible, that's what I was interested in. And so I was lucky. The last time I saw my dad when I was uh, 13, found out 30 years later, he was a genius. He actually died homeless here on the streets of New York City. Wow. It took me 30, 35 years to, to figure out that one, but I had angels come into my life at very strategic points along the way that were my mentors. I had the best coach in the world uh, when I made the declaration that I was going to become an Olympian, a cyclist. He was the guy to do it. He's a three-time Olympian. He's a five-time national champion. What was his name? As Jack Disney. And the most amazing thing about Jack is that he, he taught me how to win. He taught me to be a thoughtful, thinking athlete first, and then the conditioning and all the razzle-dazzle and the specificity came into it secondly. And so that was a challenge my intellect. It really cultivated and drew something out of me. But simultaneously, while I was training to become an Olympian, I was also uh, between my sophomore and junior year at the University of Southern California, where I studied sports science, because they have a, you know, kind of a brainiac mind for science and things like that. And I was interested in the biology and the physiology of greatness. And, uh, and I was also simultaneously an art glass sculptor working with another mentor of mine named John Burton, who was a, uh, he was a Victorian. And he uh, crafted and pulled out of me a different side of me uh, during our breaks when I was helping him as his apprentice develop glass masterpieces. I was developing my own glass style. But during our breaks and lunchtime, he was reading to me poetry. He was reading to me the great philosophers. We were listening to classical music, and I had a capacity for that. So we had this kind of cauldron of things that were whirling together between my late teens and my early 20s that ultimately led to a birth as an Olympian. <clears throat> I got my master's degree in sports science. Um, and why that was critical is that this is where athletes came to me and said, I want to become an Olympian myself. I want to win gold medals. I want to become uh, a highly paid professional. How do I do that? You must know something about that, having been an Olympian, but you also have this academic uh, pedigree as well. And then business people came to me and said, well, you know, I must, I need to have somebody help me become my own champion as well because different arena, but basically the process is exactly the same. And then what happened is that the athlete said, well, I can't get injured. How do I get over injuries quickly? And the business people that were coming to me to become their own champion said, well, look, I don't want to be like my colleagues because everybody in their early 40s are dying of heart attacks or catastrophic relationship failures. And I don't want to be that guy. How do you prevent me from becoming that? So I went back and became a chiropractor. And I became International Sports Chiropractor of the Year, mostly around the work that I did with uh, my eight tour victories. I've done nine Tour de France's uh, as an advisor, boots on the ground, so on and so forth. So that's how I kind of became this a Jiffy Loop shopping center, one-stop <laughs> guy, where you could go to kind of get the whole scoop all in one guy. Which so was, in a nutshell, like uh, uh, someone 
competing in the Tour de France yeah. is going to hire you. Yeah. And they bring you in and they're just like, listen, I need you to manage my training, my stress levels, my recovery. Right. How do like, I win? Get yeah. me through this. How do you get right. me to win uh, physically, mentally, etc.? It's It's the whole deal. Here I am. Take me to the promised land. How do we do that? And what, what, are, what are some of the first things that you kind of look at when, you, when you're going to evaluate an athlete? Like, what are some of the things you do? Well, the first thing is how do they show up? Yeah. Because, you know, champions always show up on time. And so are you on time or not. And the next thing is, what's the quality of your questions? Are you waiting for me to take the lead? Or are you going to share information with me? Are your goals and ambitions consistent with your capacity? Are they really within reach? I'm looking for a reality check on their ceiling in terms of their uh, intellectual capacity. Because, you know, it's one of the myths that I spent my whole career dispelling, this one single myth that's literally led to two particular roadblocks that prevent people from living lives of passion, purpose, productivity, and prosperity. And that's the, the myth is, is that people assume that goal setting will lead them to goal achievement, and it won't. And so we have to really make sure that what the goals are, what is their current capacity to be realized and manifest by the individual? What do we need to do to get them to where they need to be to actually manifest it? And do they have that innate capacity to do that? Because you can't make a racehorse out of a plow horse no matter what you do. Right. Backing up for one second, I mean, how many Olympics did you compete in? I, I competed in one. In one. How, what was your experience like with that? Which one was it? Can you just kind of sure. go into it? Yeah, well, the Olympics, were, they changed me. I understand, why, I understand why astronauts go to the moon and they come back and they're different because just the scaling of the experience is so different to the normal daily human Which experience. Which one did you compete in? I was in 72 in Munich, and, of course, that was the Olympic tragedy where the Palestinian terrorists oh murdered that was 11 pre, athletes. Steve Prefontaine was at that one, right? Yeah, Steve and I got goosebumps thinking about that. Oh, we my were God. Yeah, I do. Seriously, oh, we were at the same games together, and I got up in the, in the morning. Actually, I was you know 100 yards away from where the terrorists were being uh, holding the athletes, there were two guys that lay dead in the apartment building. It was a helicopter that was gunned down, or oh, what, what was it exactly? Yeah, what happened is that that day, uh, just the drama was unlike anything any American would ever conceive of experiencing, because the guns were not play guns, they were real guns, and people were getting killed. And they took the hostages, and they loaded them, the uh, nine uh, remaining Israeli athletes, they took them and got safe patches to the airport, they loaded them onto a helicopter. There was a lot of dialogue, and the uh, terrorist that uh, was in the helicopter uh, attending to the nine athletes got really nervous because things weren't happening quickly. So he got nervous, and he pulled the pen out of a hangar and dropped it on the floor and blew up the helicopter. Nine guys dead, yeah. you know, literally within an instant. So, I mean... Man. I think that was Pre's last. That was Pre's last Olympics before. Yeah. Was it Montreal? Was he supposed? To, or where yeah. was he going to compete in seventy five? Yeah, it was in Montreal. It was in Montreal, but that didn't work out. Oh, so there was a lot yeah. of tragedy but it's a you know i just want to say something about this here is that, you know the athletes in the olympics i mean they just want to c compete against the best and see what they've got and challenge everybody to the highest game possible they don't care about politics at all but yet you know they were the pawns that were chosen to be the dispensable pieces in this and i think you know the mother will never walk that child down the aisle to be married uh, the father will never shake that hand again That's i disgusting. mean it's just i just don't know how to wrap my around about it. it it's yeah. just very tough and i couldn't even imagine for you because you were actually there so um putting that aside i mean that had to what's the best way to put it this without saying, I mean, that definitely changed your experience. Mm -hmm. Let's just say, so going in there, you didn't compete. Did you compete after? I, I was actually, account? I was actually done at the time. Oh, you were so, done at the time. Yeah. So let's talk about before that happened, because we know how tragic that was and, and how that must've changed your whole experience there. But beforehand competing, what was that experience like for well, you? I well, I would even say preceding the competition, because it's like I, ambitions to become an Olympian and a lot of people didn't like that even my friends turned against me it's like what do you think you're doing you know you can't become an Olympian who do you think you are 
Why you know, are they you, saying that? Yeah, well, you, are you turning your back on us? You know, you, you're too good for us now. What's the deal here? You know, wow. and so there was a lot of that. There was, uh, you know, I realized that I was responsible for a 10 year investment of time. And what if it didn't work out? I was still responsible for and accountable for answering that question. But that's okay, you know, it's like if, if you get a calling, I think you have to decide, are you gonna turn your back on the gift of the calling or are you gonna step into it, you know, which I did. And so the level of commitment is a single-mindedness, but people say, well, isn't that a sacrifice? And I say, the, the, the sacrifice isn't to not do it. The sacrifice is to live a life of mediocrity. The sacrifice is to not step into what's possible. So were they upset with you because you weren't spending any time with yeah. them? And, okay. I, they felt that it was a little bit too self-serving because every moment was spent on me, but it actually wasn't. My commitment was to the honor of having the privilege of a possibility that I was called to, and I felt like if you get the calling, you better show up right? because that's a gift, and if you don't, you're responsible for that for all of eternity. Right, and they probably didn't take into consideration that if you you know, squandered that, how it would affect you mentally yeah. uh, and how it would have plagued you and haunted you. A absolutely. And so, again, I've always felt a bit insulated and isolated from most people's trivial uh, challenges and the things that they deem as important. Because, I mean, once you've had that experience, again, you can't look at life the same. I, I was so tweaked when I came back. What do you mean by that? I just can't look at everything the same. I mean, every moment of every life, every moment of our life is an opportunity to go for big or to challenge or to call somebody to a higher game, you know? In, in what we're capable of uh, humans is absolutely unbelievable. And I can absolutely say that I've experienced what it's like to play at your full potential because I had the opportunity to craft and cultivate that in me. And I can say that there's nothing more euphoric than that because human potential is so vast and so uh, ubiquitous in its ability to create such human distinction that personally, my kind of personal rampage is to make sure that everybody has a chance to have a chance to experience what their full potential is like. Now, do you think that's something that you were 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 born with because um, you know you knew what you wanted to do at a very young age, or do you think that someone that was going to follow the champion's blueprint could learn to, you know, learn to to become as well? Yeah, well, I think we all have the ability to become our own champions and something specific to us because we all have our gifts. We need to look and find out what our talents are, Shit. and then uh, again, talents are one thing, but talents need to be cultivated, need to be appropriately grown over time so that we learn to mature and handle the process of going from you know, average to good to great to excellence to extraordinary, so on and so forth. And that's a process that you cannot rush too quick, too fast, because pro child prodigies generally never well wear, well wear because it's a little bit like too much too fast. The mind is, is something that I think till the day I die, I just will never have studied enough or work on enough. and. You know, I, I've taken courses. I've 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 listened to exceptional speakers. I've left specific, you know, um, um, courses I might have taken and and can recall for two weeks where nothing went wrong. Like the yeah. mood, but you know, and you know what I'm I, talking I about. It's you know when you can bring your mood and you can yes. bring your change your physiology, bring things to a point where you're just like, wow, I'm nailing it every day. You're nailing it every day, and but. I feel like 99% of this planet doesn't really believe in that and they don't really understand the importance of surrounding yourself with a team or a group of people, even if you don't have a sport or even if you, you're working a typical nine to five job, it's, it is incredibly important the people are around you. What was that, what part of that played into your equation? It, um, as an Olympic athlete, I mean, you can't choose the people that you're competing with, but I guess your coaches or the people you're training now and, 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 and putting together a team that you know um, 
mentally, spiritually, we're in a specific spot where you know they added value to each other. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. We have to be really mindful about what our limitations are realistically. And just because we recognize them doesn't mean we're trapped by them. It means that we need to find people that can help <clears throat> cultivate our skill to move beyond them and raise our ceiling. Right. And generally, there's, there will be you know, many points along the journey where the people that helped us become obsolete only because they've done their service of duty and we need to move beyond to the next level. And uh, those people that are true to us understand that and they embrace that and they encourage that. Because it is pretty powerful. I mean, Zach, I mean, you think about it, and, and let's go to the lowest hanging fruit for the magazine. <clears throat> the individual who's reading this magazine, reading Muscle and Fitness or, or, or you know, any of the publications who sure. has a training partner. And every day they go to the gym and mm -hmm. the person you're around, I mean, I know I've had the same training partner for 15 years and he is, you know, I, I think um, mentally he's a beast. He, it, it's not, I'm not saying he's lifting more than me. Some, some of, of us he is, but <laughs> yeah, no, 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 yeah, he's a, he, yeah, it's ridiculous. So, no, I had to say that because I know he's going to be watching that. And he's way stronger than me in some categories. But mentally, mentally he brings something to the table for me that's incredibly special. Yeah. And it's, he knows how to, he knows how to hit that switch. And you know, you're working with the elite, and I want to talk about, if you don't mind, Lance Armstrong. Yeah, I sure. mean, you, you, you worked with Lance for, yeah. how long did you work with him for? I mean, Well, I actually did all seven, of Lan all seven of Lance's tour victories with him, yeah. I mean, that's remarkable. Yeah. I mean, that's remarkable. I mean, you're working with arguably the greatest athlete we will ever see in our lifetime. And yeah, there's been some scrutiny there, and there's been, uh, you know, some negative stuff going on there, but can you talk to me about his capacity as a human being? And, and what he brought to the table, maybe mentally, physically, that was so much different than anyone else you've ever seen. Oh, yeah, I can. I, only because I, I did spend a lot of intimate time with him, helping him prepare for the day's stage and also for the recovery after the day's stage. I was boots on the ground, literally living with the team for all seven of those tours every day. And, you know, Lance is different in every way, shape, or form. Uh, you know, physically, I don't know how you can run your heart rate at 195 for two hours and not blow yourself up. Wow. But I mean, that in and of itself, you know, that's Never almost its that. unfair advantage in and of itself, you know, and certainly Lance mentally, um, certainly never ask anything more of anybody else than he would do 10 times over for the team. And like, for example, I know in one training camp that we were at in Europe, uh, there was a 10 mile climb at the end of a 150 mile ride, snow drifts, raining at the top, the other guys jump out of their clothes and got in the car, uh, warm tea, warm clothes, heaters on, Lance turned around, rolled back down to the body, rolled back up again by himself. Just to prove a point type of thing? Well, yeah, but I think he you know, felt he needed to do that, you know, and, and Lance wasn't asking for a free ride for and from anybody, but he felt a tremendous honor and honoring his uh, teammates, also honoring his uh, sponsors. I mean, last in the evening when I would work on the riders, he'd be the last guy to go because his deal was you take care of the other riders first. And he said thank you to every rider every night, just to, again, make a connection with them and to being aware that he saw that he needed them to do what he had to do. You and see, you don't, you don't hear about that part of it so much anymore. You know, like a lot of it is uh, you hear about a lot of the other things. And do you think a lot of the, the, the criticisms and the negativity is, is, do you think it's unfair? A couple of things I'd like to add here is that, like, for example, I was in a car with him once and uh, somebody told him that their uncle had liver cancer. Lancer, Lance asked, could I use your phone? Could you please dial your uncle? He dialed the uncle and he talked to the uncle right there on the spot. I've seen him do that like a million times. And that's an anonymous charity, you know, and 
Lance kind of feels like uh, if you have the survivor's obligation where if you have survived something so difficult, and literally he was given a death sentence, quite honestly, uh, and he, know, he knew that his will didn't crush it. I mean, you know, it was the hand of God for sure, you know, in my parlance. And uh, I've seen him do amazing things of charity that he never talks about. He's not flamboyant about, but he keeps them, you know, literally uh, to himself. You know, even in the midst of it all, you, you didn't hear him say any of that. Like, oh, well, you, you guys didn't talk about me calling anybody or all right. this good stuff. You know, so it's right. it says a lot about the guy. I, I've never had a, a chance to meet him. I've only, you know, read a, a lot about him. Obviously yeah. followed him when he was, like, uh, sure. winning all the, all those uh, tournaments. But, uh, or all, all those uh, races, sorry. But um, and, and Another thing I want to say, if I just go here, just, just mm -hmm. before I forget this. But it's like, you know, Lance's life in a certain sense kind of, there was a, a movie called The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. Hmm. Yeah. You know, you know the the ugly was that he sued people that told the truth about him. Right. And, you know, kids wanted to grow up to be him and kind of lied about the drug use, and that's not so good. But there is another side to this, the good part. What did he do well? He was a great leader on the team. Uh, he was meticulous about making sure that the right teammates were there and were honored. He made sure that he was fully prepared to honor the teammates by doing everything that he could. Uh, he... Um, uh, and there's a, another side to this as well, and this is really about the human equation. It's like many people look at him as either a demon, you know, or a divinity. And I never looked at him as either. You know, I looked at him as a human being. And the one thing that I will say is that if anyone expects to learn their life lessons from perfect people, well, you're going to be waiting a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like we're the losers if we judge him too harshly and we exempt what we can learn from his life, which is significant if we take the time to do that, if we can partition ourselves and separate ourselves from that. No, I, I agree with you a thousand percent. I mean, I, I know it's easy on the outside, and you and I have spoken this, about this a lot. I mean, and I'm going to use business as an example, but, you know, I own a business. I've owned my own business for 15 years. And it's easy on the outside to point the finger and say, he should do this or you don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know what I'm battling with. You don't know the people I have to deal with. You don't know my landlord. You know, there's yeah. all these variables in there that sometimes, you know, so, uh, you know, you might be surprised if you actually hear why someone made the decision that they made. But, you know, in professional sports in that period of time, there was, an, well, I'm taking cycling out of the, the equation. It was kind of the sweet spot. I mean, MLB, I mean, what, what years was this going on? With the with the tour, well, different. I was ninety nine through uh, Lance two thousand five. Okay, so we were we were right. I mean, I, I'm a big major league baseball guy, so I feel like baseball in the mid nineties through early two thousand, there was a sweet spot where when you look at the stats, and I'm, yeah. I'm, my son, I have a ten year old boy, so we're on stats every night for about two hours. <laughs> but he he looked yeah. at me the other night. He said something that was pretty. He goes, Dad, like this year, like well, look at his numbers. Like, look, look how good he did. And, you know, you look down, you know, I'm not mentioning the athlete's name, but, you know, you look down, you see that he spent six, seven years in the league. And then suddenly around 96, 97, 98, 99, his numbers just picked up pretty drastically. Right. And then when we, when all those issues were going on with Congress, then the batting average and the power numbers dropped a little bit. So, you know, not making, you know, an excuse, right. but it really was a level playing field in all of sports going on because any coach that I've spoken to, any doctor, any professional athlete that was coming out of that era was basically like, everyone was doing it. Yeah. You know? But it's also like we've talked about um, whatever the sport is, you still got to show up and do the work. Yeah. You still got to show up on time and, and, and put in all the effort. So, I mean, and, and I'm not advocating for people to do that like sure. or whatever, but it's, 
it's still you can't just say uh, yeah like Lance Armstrong or McGuire or Barry or whatever it yeah. is you can't say that they just did that and it made them who they are like there's a lot of things that went into it and you know I'm, I'm willing to bet Lance Armstrong showed up on time and put in all the work and what you said was there the last one to leave and that's something you that whatever drug you're on whatever drug you take it doesn't it doesn't just fill that gap. You have to do that. It doesn't. I, a couple of examples I can remember. It's like the night before Lance won his first tour. I got done you know, finishing our, our work together. And I said, you know, from this moment forward, your life's never going to be the same. So what do you mean by that? I said, well, obviously, you know, this is a pretty good story. And, you know, so again, just fasten seatbelts here. And he turned around and he looked at me. And he said, when you get a second chance, you go all the way. And it's like, I don't know how you're going to beat somebody like this, seriously, because you have a body like that. You know, and he comes from a very difficult background, childhood as well. I think that needs to be respected. And the things that he was repeatedly exposed to do have a significant influence on how we view and how we respond to the world. And, you know, one thing I, I know, and this is paraphrasing using my own language, but you know, Lance does have a great appreciation for the chance that he did get a second chance. And um, one of the things that, that we talked about, you know, he said, you know, pain is temporary, quitting is forever. And so when I look at Lance, I always felt that he looked at pain, not as pain. Most of the riders in the Peloton, they kind of decide how much effort they're going to put into it based upon the pain that they're going to experience and what that means to them and there is kind of a subconscious block there but I always felt like what Lance's difference was is that he kind of measured pain as a measure that he was still alive it wasn't something that he avoided this was a reminder that he survived literally almost like a cancer death sentence he almost appreciated the pain. He, he did. It was a reminder why, that he was still alive. You right. know, and it's like I, I don't know how you're going to beat that physiology and that mindset and that background that he came from that nobody ever talks about. When you combine talent with with work ethic, it's it's over. Like it's just like I don't know because there's so many people that just rely on talent. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to say I was the most talented person growing up, but I had a work ethic because of specific. You know, if it was a hearing disability I had or, you know, some issues I had yeah. when I was a kid. And yeah. it really does, like, it puts a chip onto your shoulder. So, you know, to come back from, you know, for, for battling cancer and to come back and to go through what he did, I don't know if anyone, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can comprehend what that actually means. I mean, the guy was almost dead. But, but, but I mean, think about this. I mean, even like when I would work on him, I, there were some things I needed to do, you know, neck and, and I want to talk about that too. And stuff. I mean, I'd run my hand over where they actually opened up his skull to take the cancer out of his brain. I could see that. I could feel that. You know, when we'd work on other parts of the body, you'd see the place where the tube got put into the chest where the chemo would go in. You look at that stuff. Yeah, you're like, what is going on? Try to wrap your brains around this, you know? Yeah. Excuse me for getting a little bit emotional yeah, no, about this, no, but it's no, like it's, it's great. This is a human interface of, of reality. I think right. that does need to be discussed, you know, right. because there is another side to us as humans, and I think and how we look at this will determine, in some measure, the level of quality of legacy that we create for others to look at and say, right. what do we do with our time and our talent? You know, 
Yeah, I, I kind of my wish for the whole thing because I've, I've met with you enough now to understand that he, he was a good guy and listen, he's a human being and I've made 10 times more mistakes than he has and, and then the next guy. So I understand what it's like to get a second chance and what it's like to, you know, the good should outweigh the bad for, for someone like that. And we still shouldn't forget what he did for our country because he did put our country up on a pedestal. He did set a new standard, not only for cyclists, but I think for human beings. It motivated me. It was, I'm, I'm gonna tell you, was he an influence in what I did in my career? Absolutely. You know, I would, I'd think about it times, and I wasn't even a cyclist, how hard he'd push. And that would be almost a gauge for me to say, come on, you got a little more in the tank here, you know? So he helped out many people. You know, I remember once we were in the car and this person gave him this, uh, newspaper from rural Florida and the woman said with a bald head photo who was part of the staff there that Lance will never hear about the inspiration he provided for her to get up every day when she didn't feel like getting up because she was so sick from the chemo but yet he kept her in the game as right. a result of that she survived and Lance saw the newspaper called the woman up at the newspaper and talked with her for half an hour right just another example of you know these other sides of Lance that that was ne that that that's been uh, disregarded. Yeah, and I think yeah. it's a beautiful thing that we're doing this right now because I think it's paying a little bit of a tribute to him. Um, yeah, because it's easy to dogpile on somebody, especially yeah, like sure. kick them when they're down. Yeah, you know, sure, like sure, that's sure. A, that's an easy headline. It's sure. an easy click. Yeah. But like, yeah, that's the, the truth is, it's like you said it. This this guy did a lot, and it's like nobody wanted to to tell people to pump the brakes and to stop and to re realize that. Why, you know, you're singling out one person right. um, and there's a lot of other people well, then, in the well, same we should, What I'd like to do is still, uh, I'd like to focus on some of the positive. I mean, put aside yeah. the fact that he really um, helped elevate the sport in itself. From a, um, from a training standpoint, what you actually learned from him that you were able to apply to others. Recovery, probably one of my favorite words. Yeah, well, that, the that last was actually decade. my specialty. I was, yeah. I was the recovery guy. And right. the, the other thing that I'll say about Lance and the team, goosebumps twice now, yeah. and I don't get them that often, but you know, they brought me on, they never said, what are you doing, show me the studies. Their deal was, you know what you're doing, just bring to us the best that's possible for us to recover and show up and do what we gotta do you know, every day. I had complete unrestricted ability to create the model of the future, which I did. And that your know, personal tragedy for me is that we'll never be able to share that story without some jaded you know, suspicion as relates to that because people could learn a lot from what we did to create the model. I mean, you think about this, in the Lance years, we only lost three guys. One guy to a broken arm, another guy to you know, a severe concussion, another guy to uh, acute patella tendonitis. Otherwise, every member of the team finished every tour. It's absolutely unheard of. And that wasn't by accident. It's because those guys let me do what I had to do to create that model. You wouldn't see that in certain institutions because there's too much bureaucracy, too much of a hierarchy. They want to see too many studies. You know, We never did anything that was uh, uh, had not passed the scrutiny of clinical validation and scientific validity. But there's, I'm telling you, there's stuff out there that is so good right now that people will maybe discover in 30 years. I don't know what that is, but that's what we did. We, I was given complete license to do whatever was necessary to create that model. Why do you feel like you can't dis disclose that? Why do you feel like you can't make a difference? Because But maybe that could be me, actually. Right, actually, right, right. That, that's, and, that's what I'm saying. Don't anything. you feel an obligation in, in a way? I'm obviously curious, but yeah. for the naysayers out there who yeah, are sure. who are going to turn around and say, sure. blood doping, steroids, 
Well, the yeah, hell yeah, with them. Fine. Yeah, we had, we had, yeah. yeah. But, but there's other stuff out 100%. there. And I, and I know because you and I talked about it with Derek. 100%. Yeah. And, and yeah. can you, are you able sure. to discuss oh, some yeah, of that? Because this, yeah, this is absolutely. remarkable. Yeah, 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 this yeah. is so, remarkable. So, you know, there's a lot of ways of doing things. You know, mostly there's, um, you know, pharmaceuticals for controlling pain and all that sort of stuff. You know, the stuff that you get over the counter. And that doctors would prescribe for stuff. It, I mean, you could do a lot of things electronically as well, using frequencies and wavelengths, et cetera, to do certain things to accelerate healing. And so I use low-level laser in several different ways that uh, people had not used prior to that time. We use frequency-specific microcurrent, where we could use very specific frequencies to target very specific tissues to induce uh, uh, therapeutic responses in them. Uh, we used... Um, a couple of other devices for looking at uh, levels of stress in the body and removing them using, again, frequencies <clears throat> and uh, organ targets, so on and so forth. And these are things that uh, is high-speed biology. Uh, look, slow-moving nerve impulses and chemicals are relatively slow, and they don't literally go everywhere. So we have other opportunities to address the body as a whole. And kind of, you know, my model was, let's make sure that we reset the body's healing physiology as quickly as possible. Then let's go after the local injuries using lasers and all this other hocus pocus and creams and things like that. That's the way we did it. Wow. Um, recovery modalities. How many different recovery modalities would you say you leaned on when uh, working with you know, the guys getting ready for the for the tour. Was yeah, there like your go-to five specific things, and what and what were they really? Sure. Well, I mean, with with recovery, for sure, there was a frequency specific microcurrent. So, can you explain yeah, sure. that? A little well, bit? Yeah. that again, we used different frequencies that provided a therapeutic response, and we could target the tissue by using target tissue frequencies as well. Okay. So, is that kind of like an, an ultrasound, or was that no? Weird? We're using electrical frequencies. Oh, is that like Beamer? Uh, sort of, but it's much more targeted, much more specific than okay. that. So we use that. We use the, the low-level uh, laser, Erconia low-level laser. We did that because the therapeutic benefits of a 635 nanometer wavelength are superior in terms of protein synthesis, in terms of pain reduction, in terms of tissue repair, in terms of uh, antioxidants uh, to uh, prevent uh, free radical injuries, so on and so forth. Okay. We also use that to restore um, body tensegrity. You know, if we look at the body, um, the body is, uh, you know, essentially uh, bones and muscles and tissues, but the bones follow the tissue uh, tension. And when we have ideal tissue length and tone in the body, then the bones that make up a joint expand and move away from each other, that puts the body back at its most ideal uh, um, uh, uh, biomechanics to be able to heal quickly. So I always did that first thing. We actually started this on the bus as soon as the st stage was over. On the bus, they come on. We'd have the, the Mac Pro to pump fluid out to restart, uh, you know, lymphatic uh, drainage, etc. We I would adjust them chiropractically. We would have the uh, microcurrents and the lasers all going on the bus. So while we were going back to the hotel, we had already gotten a jump start. We also used the stick, intercell stick, which is a kind of a muscle rolling pin to yeah. help. Uh, um, break up the uh, connective tissue to dump the metabolic waste into the body to increase the turnover to get it's the body the same back stick to base that you might see people using yeah. in, in, in a gym. It's the same deal, yeah, yeah. we use that in 99. It's like right? a handheld foam roller in a way, you know, it's like... Exactly know, right. Very, yeah. very All cool. told, how long were your days? Um, oh, that's a great question. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, I, I slept maybe three or four hours a night. Oof. Yeah, I went to bed at like after one, and I'd get up at six to get everything ready <laughs> for the next day. And... Um, 
You know, I can honestly tell you, I left every tour feeling better than I did when I got there because it was such an extraordinary experience dealing with, just imagine this, just, just imagine being with 25 people, administrators and athletes, all committed to one purpose. All the egos got checked at the door. Everybody was of service to everybody else. There was not one bit of gossip. There was no complaining. Imagine that for one month. Be nice, be can nice you way to that? run our world, right? Yeah. I mean, can you imagine that? Yeah. Not one complaint. Nice. You know? Oh and so God. I can only say that it's I probably left. a letdown when you when It you was. Oh, man, yeah. back to the you know human deal. So, <laughs> again, I, I can't say enough, but that team was put together because of the way that you know Lance and Johan constructed the team and their ability to select team members for compatibility and service. Now the team changed every tour, every yeah, tour. Yeah. So you, there were seven. So you worked on seven tours. I did. Well, I did. I've, I've done nine total. You've done nine. Oh, so nine but seven with Lance. Lance, yeah. Right. Did you did? Maybe you can't answer this, but you feel like one tour stood out more than the next. Was there yeah. one team that you just said to yourself, "This is vicious. Like this is almost an yeah. unbeatable team." Well, yeah, and it's actually tour number five where Lance is going to tie the record, and that's when Lance was off by ten percent, and he was just not performing well. Hmm. And you know, he came to me, and uh, it was this was the hardest How'd thing. How'd you justify ten percent? If you don't mind me cutting you off. Like well, that was his choice of okay. percentages. Yeah. So he just felt it was ten percent off, okay. and you know, he just wasn't recovering well. He wasn't able to produce the watts. And uh, t to me, it was the hardest thing he ever had to do. He had to face the team when he couldn't do his job. The team had to hold and prop him up, and the riders would come to me, "How's he? You know, how's he doing? You know, everybody wanted some type of info, and and." Why this is critical is that, number one, Lance relied on the team and the team stepped up and supported Lance. And the idea was, how do we get Lance back? Well, we don't start going after magic potions, magic wands, you know, amulets, rabbit's feet. You stick with what you know works. And sometimes that's the hardest thing to do of all. And you dig. And yeah, we did, we did that. We were vigilant with that. And the team supported them. The team didn't second guess anything. And then finally, uh, as we got into the final week, you know, Lance showed up again as Lance Lance, and he won his fifth tour. But isn't that the mark of a, a good and, and true leader to, to, to stand up and Absolutely. just take the heat and say, look, guys, sorry, I'm, I'm doing the best I can. I don't know what's going on. I'm working on it. And Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like you cannot isolate yourself. You have to step into it. You have to reassure the team. What was that like for him afterwards? Was there more pride? Was there a better feeling okay. for him? Like, you know what I'm saying? Was there, was he, did he turn around then and just was even more emotional because he's like, guys, I can't believe how you stepped up. Like, you made me look good here. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, so here's the way it went down. Is that like, the this was at the top of a mountain stage and we left the bus at the bottom of the mountain stage because you couldn't take the bus up and take the bus back down, right? So all of the teammates uh, were in the bus itself and Lance had uh, scored an amazing you know, victory in a reinstatement of self as you know, this guy's gonna win the tour again. So all of a sudden we were waiting <clears> in the bus, the back doors fly open, <laughs> Lance jumps off of the bus, what do you think of me now? And yeah. everyone started crying and hugging each other and rolling the aisles and stuff like that because it was a unification team once again. But what it was really saying is that we trusted each other enough to stay and work with the program, not look for magic answers. It was an amazing like, reinstatement. Like, like, yeah. <laughs> this is like, this is pretty cool. This yeah, cool. no, I mean, it's... This is pretty amazing. I think it's I think it's also really cool that he could just, you know, by looking at the stats and everything, but just know I'm off 10%. Absolutely like, right. You know, just feel it too. Like, I'm off 10%. Like, I would know. Like, right now, I'm probably off 98%. But, like, <laughs> uh, that's a guess. But just that he was that precise and knew himself and knew his performance that well. Like, that's, that's so crazy you, and cool. You think also about most people would crack under the pressure and they'd start doing some crazy stuff to try to get it back and get some confidence and reassurance that everything was going to be okay. You don't. When you're in a situation like that, you've, you've got to go back 
to the corner and you got to lay as low as possible and stay with what you know works at a minimum and just sit there and, and hold your ground man it's the only way you can get it back and most people literally would would cave and crumble under that does it kind of go back to you know part one of your champions blueprint of you lead with the end in mind well, I, I, th I think you lead with the end of the mind, but the most critical thing and this, please everybody listen up on this, is that, you know, the goal is the goal, but that doesn't assure you're going to get there. What assures you're going to get there is being able to read the terrain as you're moving moment by moment forward and looking for better options and how you have to adjust. And I can quite honestly say, you know, Don asked about each year the race and the team were different. That's correct, because every year the course was different. So we had to revise what we did to be specific for the course. And so the, one of the most distinguishing characteristics of this team was is that we weren't trapped by our traditions or our histories. We always looked at what had to go right now and we found what had to go right to create the model for now. You want to do a, a, you know, a 50 mile downhill time trial? Well, fine. Well, it doesn't matter for us. We'll train for it. But the point is, is that once you found something that worked, people hang on to that a little bit too rigidly because it may not be specific enough for next time. You have to have the courage and the insight and the wisdom to know how to adjust appropriately to make sure that the next time is 100% next time, not you know 90% last time and 10% new. Making this all applicable, because this is, I think, an extraordinary story, and I think just from itself, it's just it's incredibly interesting. But you know, we're talking about cycling here. Does this change much? I know putting aside the technical aspect of, you know, positioning and things about biking, I don't know, or running or, or swimming. Does everything you apply to the cyclist really change much from endurance sport to endurance sport? Putting aside the, the technicality of, you know, technique, does the recovery really change much? Does the, um, you know, the day-to-day the -day measuring of maybe heart rate variability, do those things, are they very similar principles? Well, I mean, you could even extend that into business and entertainment because the body's the body. No matter where it is and what it's doing, it's performing. Stress is stress, right? Yeah, yeah. and you have an expectation and you have a sense of when you need to perform and when you don't. Again, whether it's uh, in entertainment or business, businessmen need to make trips, you know, to China unanticipatedly. You know, people that are performing artists, they may have to do a take 50 times to get it right but yet they're accountable for what's the burn rate on you as a human during that time that you didn't expect, you're still gonna have to pay that back. And like, unless we have an accountability for all of this and you're playing roulette with your life and your future. And that's what's kind of, it, you, that's, what's, that's what's astonishing about all this because I've seen people who are exceptional in a specific category. I was talking to a gentleman this morning who is a very successful business person, but he's really struggling in the health, fitness, wellness, call what you want category. And I said something to him and I was like, well, yeah, wow, I actually may know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but I, I, I said, what, how did you get to where you were from a business standpoint? And he's like, I started at the finish. I said, you knew where you wanted to be in mind. And you turned around and you established a plan. And it might've been a two year plan, a three year plan, whatever it is. And then day in and day out, you're not necessarily infatuated with that angle, but you're doing what you have to do today to That's be correct. exceptional. That's right. And I think, a big takeaway from today is that's what people need to think about, whether your goal is weight loss, looking great in your wedding dress, whatever it might be. We get so obsessed with a number in mind, or we get so obsessed with this end goal, and you raise stress levels, and you focus on that over and over and over, expecting that to be enough to change the outcome, and it's not. Get up, Know where you want to be. I'm not saying goal setting is a bad thing, but like today, what do you have to do today to be exceptional? And if you fall short, like Lance did, a bunch of times it sounds like in that fifth tour 
he, you know, he figured out a way to find it, and he understood what he was given on that given day. And who knows why that was happening? It could have been, it could have been anything. It could yeah, have been media stress. It could have been a fight with his wife if he was married at the time. I don't know what it was. Maybe you do, but um, that's kind of where I wish people would change their mindset with all this because this guy who was exceptional in business would have a much easier time if he just took the same approach. There's something that he's been telling himself is, I think, is more difficult than it really needs to be. Bill Gates. Is that who it was? No. Um, but it's also confidence, right? So he has the confidence to to know that he can get through it. So, do you, I mean, is that kind of what you're saying? Like, that people just have to have more confidence that they're going to find their way out of I think it's way rush? different. I mean, I, I think in a way they're similar principles. Maybe. They're, maybe no, I, I can answer that. Yes, it, please. It really, it's like if, if you don't have confidence, there's no visible right. evidence that you believe that you can actually get right. to where you want to go. Right. So that's really the plan. I mean, if you could look back and you could look at the steps – and they're the right size steps, and there's the right distance between them that makes sense that you can buy into, that's what gives you confidence. I mean, in my opinion, as I said earlier, most people think that goal setting yeah. is uh, an indicator that you're gonna achieve a goal. It's not a two different things. And I think most people that do set their goals and they stick rigidly to the goals are probably not getting the goals that they could be achieving that are much bigger because they believe that if I change my goal, then I can't keep my word. You know, I mean, there's a lot of mythology in this whole goal setting deal. And that's why my whole life has been dedicated to let me show people how to achieve their goals consistently, predictably and repeatedly. Well, that's that, I'm glad that you brought that back up, because that was one of the questions I had. <clears> and then, like that's and so in reading your book, is that something that you that people are going to take away that they can? This is a, a more manageable and, and I don't want to say like. Because it's tough, man. Because it's like well, I've cracked the code on it. Okay. Because because goal, you know goal setting is not goal achievement. Right. Nobody's ever addressed goal achievement in a way that I believe that it deserves to be uh, uh, dealt with. And so this is actually what was birthed out of my experience working with these prolific achievers in sports, business, and entertainment. The traditional way of achieving goals is that you create, you know where you are, and you know the goal, and the space between you and the goal. We'll call that the gap. Mm -hmm. The way you cause the close the gap, you have a big, hair audacious goal maybe a moonshot or two or 10, the more the merrier. You're gonna outwork anybody, you're gonna have a detailed plan. Then you're gonna stay committed, you're gonna work hard, you're gonna work harder, you're gonna not give up, you're gonna stay positive, and you may or you may not achieve your goal. And I found that people that follow that model, which is ubiquitous, because it sounds right, doesn't deliver. Most people that I know of have got massive goal frustration. They know they're capable of more, but they can't get there no matter how hard they try. That's because the model's wrong, in my opinion. What I've observed from the people that I've worked with and actually been the voice inside their heads is that in that space it's not a gap it's actually a model that's got two parts it's got a preparation side and it's got a performance side and they each have five steps so you take your model make sure you're prepared to pursue your goal then you pursue it make sure you know what you're going to encounter in pursuing your goal and that's how you shuttle your goal from concept to completion that's my program it's called the goal achievement roadmap i i don't i, don't, I hope this isn't too personal but no no is, is there is there something, a goal that you set um, probably a, a while before you, you created this, this plan that, that allows you to, to, to complete these that you didn't achieve that stuck with you? Well, actually, it was my dad because my dad was a genius, but he died homeless on the streets in New York City. So what's wrong with this picture? His genius didn't save him, you know? And yeah, he had plenty of talent. He had plenty of will, all the stuff that's supposed to take us to the promised land, and it didn't. And I realized he was missing two things. He didn't have a model that showed him what to do and where he was in the process. So he kind of made it up within his own mind, like we all do. We all decide what it is in advance. 
and it probably isn't that at all, but we've just sort of made that up and that becomes our own ceiling. And he didn't have somebody like what I call a <coughs> corner man, an advisor, like Rocky had Mickey. He needed Mickey in his corner to help him live in real time negotiate the process. Had he had those two things, he would have created the legacy that he was capable of rather than being known as a statistic of everything that he shouldn't have been that will haunt him for all of eternity, what he could have been that never was. Do you think about that a lot? I do. Yeah, I do because I had great mentors and I know what I did because of the mentors. And so I was kind of gifted with insight and worked with some of the most prolific achievers of our era. I know how they do what they do, but I also know how they avoid preventable problems and how they get to where they want to go in least time with least effort on time and hopefully under budget. And so because I've been part of that decision making, so I've created a model out of that that I want to share with people, regardless of how big their personal goals are, it's actually a system that will help them achieve their goals consistently, predictably, and repeatedly. Because, because again, you know, as an Olympian, I experienced full potential. I, I, all I see is a lot of people walking around um, desperate, uh, despondent. They know they're capable. How many times have we all asked, why am I not achieving the goals that I'm capable of? How come I'm not playing any close to my potential? I mean, how many times have we said that? Why? Because nobody showed us the tools or the steps to take to do it. Right. It's all about trying harder. When are you bad enough? If you can visualize it, everything backfills. Really? I've not seen that. What are your? I mean, you have a pretty impressive resume. I mean, you're you're in, you're in the Olympics. You you know you worked with arguably the greatest athlete we'll ever see in our life. I mean, you were incredibly world world class success in that category. What's your? How how have your goals pivoted now? What are you? What what's your what what's your mission? Well, my mission is, um, uh, I, again, my mission. I want to make sure that everybody has a chance to manifest the legacy that they're capable of to the extent at which they want to fulfill that. And again, to me, the primal life skill is goal achievement. You know, if you cannot achieve your goals, then your dreams die in your head. They can't manifest. There's no evidence of what you've created. There's nothing left behind. You know, the scorecard is mediocrity. And that's not good enough for me. I feel like people need to live a life that they're proud of, that they can look at and say that I stepped into this. I contributed this. This is what I, it took for me to become my own champion in my own domain. This is what was relevant to me. But you just can't make it up, especially in today's world where the cost of a good or bad decision, no decision, no decision at all, like has never been greater. And so I spent the last 10 years uh, raising our adopted daughter. You know, that was part of what I did, you know, because she deserved that great bright kid, smart, uh, came from the most uh, horrific uh, background you could ever imagine of unspeakable harm. And so for me, I spent, you know, 10 years doing that while I was evolving my um, program along with advising like my clients. I just can't, you know, I'm 68 now. I don't know what 68 is supposed to feel like or look like. But doesn't look like you. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, definitely doesn't does look like you. Yeah. Well, so again, um, you know, I'm completely of service to again, let people see a method in a model to be able to achieve their goals, whatever those are. You, you just said something a couple minutes ago that really resonated hard on me because for every individual, I mean, how we quantify success, it's all different, right? Yeah. But yeah. you just said something, um, something you're proud of so is that are you looking at an individual and if they're if i was if someone here was to turn to you and say jeff i'm proud of what i've become i'm proud of what i'm doing is that enough for you is that or or are you or are you saying well i'm, I'm glad you are don but there's still 
more in that gas tank right there, now. There is. It's yeah. never over. Yeah, that, you know, I believe it's, it's, that it's also. Like it's, it's never over. But some people are content. You know, some people are content with working the nine to five. You and, know what? You know, and it, that's okay. I know. And I, yeah, I just it, want to hear it, from it, you. It, and, you know, that's okay. We all set our own gold medal as long as we're accountable for it. You know, right. because at, at the end of the day, we're all going to leave a legacy, whether you like it or not. And it's going to be a living, breathing testimonial for all of humanity to view for all of eternity on what we do with our time and our talent. And there are no redos. And I think we just need to be mindful of that. And it's easy as, as an outsider. And it's funny because you hear about, you know, some of the most successful people in the world. And you hear other individuals who aren't in their shoes saying, oh, if God, if I made my first hundred million, I would just. Yeah, I would be I like them. I wouldn't work anymore. Why are they? Why are they still pushing? And, <laughs> and, I, and I never really got that. Like, this is this is partially what makes them as a human being this is part of what makes them significant this is part of what drives them every day that's right you know you were you know lance could have get someone said oh lance won the first you know after cancer why go back he already had how many how many tours did he win once he was diagnosed two three after he was diagnosed no he won seven. Oh, he was diagnosed no 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 no. he was died when was he diagnosed after 96 okay so he already won the seven he didn't think, win any what's that all of his tour victories were after his cancer. Yeah, that, that's what I. That's what I mean. Yeah. So, I, I thought he won one or two and then was diagnosed and then came back. Yeah, I know. Yeah, see, that's unbelievable. Yeah, that's incredible. I don't even know what to say about that. It's like I'm, I'm just. But the, that's part of my whole rant. There is, you know. But but I think a lot, a lot of a lot of people just uh, they, they don't see a model forward. Well, Don, you know, he's got these big, audacious goals. I can never be like that. Well, why? You don't why have not? to be like that. Why not? You can be your own champion, right? Let's let me show you how to do this. You want to bake a cake? Well, here's the 10 steps. First, you prepare, get all your stuff. This is how you do it. You know, so again, I feel like we need to give people permission to decide what them becoming their own champion means to them. It bothers me when I hear someone put limitations on their life, their career. Or a, like, a lot I'm of that is that they don't see a path forward. Seriously. Yeah, I won't make that much money. Seriously. Like, how do you know? Like, yeah, what do you, you don't know. Well, yeah. that's what that's really saying is that I don't see a path forward. I don't know how to get there because they've never been taught how to achieve goals. Seriously, it's the primal life skill. But is it also that they don't think it's good enough or they don't think it's good enough compared to somebody else? I think that the boogeyman inside our head does come up with that, and that's a lot of uh, self-talk. I do believe that, yes. And do you, and how do you overcome that? Is it with positive self-talk? Is it just like reminding yourself that you sh you don't need to compare yourself to somebody else, and you can be happy with uh, being your own, you know, gold medal, getting your own yes, gold medal? Yes, but I think it's more than that. If I could just take a second Please, to, to, yeah. to describe this, because mindset is step number four in my program. And when I talk about mindset, I say that there's concurrently two, human nature has two mindsets that are working simultaneously together. We've got the human mindset, and we've got the champion's mindset that are both within us, and they're both at war with each other 24 hours a day for control over our decision making. And we experience that as conflict. You know, should I do this, should I do that? It's good internal conflict. To me, we have to understand the nature of our human mindset. Our human mindset is our default beliefs. Those are things that humans think of as being real because we all think they're real because they sound right. Human nature is incredibly predictable, incredibly predictable. But the problem with that is that it's only calibrated towards survival. Our human mindset is all about survival. It doesn't care about gold medals, doesn't care about magazine subscription, it could care less. It's only about survival. And the difference between life or death in a physical sense, in a survival context, can be a split second. So therefore, our human mindset gets first dibs at every moment of our life. Have you ever said anything that you wish you hadn't said, but you said it so fast, faster than you could think, but you regretted it? 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Of I have. Well, that's our human mindset. Usually, those things are said in survival. They're not about excellence. They're not. And if we engage life through that, you're going to live a miserable life. But the good news is we have a champion's mindset that's our innate uh, wisdom. And we have an innate intelligence with us that is sometimes contrarian to what we may think it to be true in terms of human nature, but yet it's calibrated towards excellence. That's how we win gold medals. It doesn't get first dibs at every moment because it's not about survival, but it does get the final say. It can make history. This is how I helped a guy win a gold medal. I had this very conversation with him two and a half weeks before the Olympic final. He was supposed to win a gold medal, and he was currently leading the world championship, and he was mentally breaking down. They brought me in to talk to him, see if I could salvage it. So I said, Greg, here's the deal. Human mindset, champion mindset. You're coming from champion mindset. Given an opportunity, this is what our human mindset says. What do I stand to lose? Champions don't think like that, Greg. What do I stand to gain? Given an opportunity, well, gosh, I'm doing my best. Champions don't think like yeah, that. Think I'll find a way. You know, motivation. Human? Motivation. What are you to the average person out there who struggles with motivation? What I, do you? What do you? What do you? What do you say to them? I, I say you have to understand the process to get from where you are to where you want to go. And if you don't know where you want to go, then get chapter one in my program. That'll help you clarify what your goals are. You know, to me, that's a person that that doesn't see the path on how to get from A to B. Because people just say, try harder. How many people have tried hard and haven't gotten anywhere? Sure. I think there needs to be a model. Mm -hmm. How do you prepare for pursuing your goal? How do you actually achieve the goal itself? That's what I think. I think people need a model that they can look at, they can follow. Do it simply. My daughter baked the cake. That's how she learned the model. It's amazing. Well, my plan was to move in with Jeff. I hope he's cool with it. Let's do it. Right. I, I, I got next room. Let's yeah, go. Jeff's gonna, Jeff's gonna take it, take you on, take me on as a project. Hey, yeah. listen, I, I, I'm I, I, I'm all about unleashing true potential. Like that to me, that's what's exciting about life. Yeah. Like I, I I'm actually okay with on some uncertainty now. In the past, I I may not have been. Now I'm like it almost excites me because. I don't know where I'm going to end up. I don't know, like, sky's the limit in my brain. You know, I'm like, wow, like, look, maybe I may not have a gym next year because my lease is up, but they might open the doors for something else that's great. I don't know. What, you, you know, know what? it's like the, the, the mind and the brain hate, hate sameness. Our human nature loves it because it gives us confidence, but it also feels uh, uh, asphyxiated from it because there's nothing out there to aspire to. So I feel that it's always important that we're working on stuff in front of us, but we're always working on a project that calls us to a higher game. Evolving. Co yeah, concurrently, yeah. yeah. But is that what you use? Um, you know, you're a painter and a sculptor and a glass artist. Do you use that more therapeutically, or do you use that to do something that's like outside of what you're, what you're working on? I did that because I had a capacity in each, and what I, what I found was this, is that if I did three things in a day simultaneously, not simultaneously, but at different points during the day, like my brain, I could train in the gym on the bike for maybe uh, maybe four to six hours a day in two sessions and be okay. But if I went beyond that, I was stupid. You know, I just wasn't performing well. I found that if I was an academic advising people for more than five hours a day, three hours a day, I became somewhat dull. I wasn't the person that they deserved to have with the level of sensitivity. And I found that in working on my glass sculpture, if I did it more than you know two hours, three hours a day, I got stupid. And I kind of surmised that my brain had four or five different compartments that each 
had a capacity every day that was maybe three or four hours long. And if I did those three things throughout a day, I could work 12 or 15 hours and not get tired because I wasn't exhausting and digging a hole in one of those particular areas of creativity. Hmm. I found that that worked very well for me. And you'll see that a lot. For example, I helped an athlete win a national championship last year. Uh, he uh, was uh, very accomplished and there were three guys that could have won the national championship. And I said, there's no more that you can do in your training. Otherwise you're gonna risk uh, injury or illness. There's nothing you could do. But the way that we can get the extra percentage for you to win, you told me between the ages of zero and 10, you play the violin and you haven't played it for 10 years. So I'm gonna suggest you get your violin out and you play it like 15 minutes a day because it will reconnect you with a part of your evolution that will awaken something that's rhythm, timing, pacing, et cetera. That's bring an artistic cool. side to it. He did it. Freaking won the national championship. And did he? Did he? Was he able to to connect them? One hundred percent. Yeah. Because it was flow. It, it woke something, a creative side. You think it also relaxed him a little bit. You yeah, think it, it also was dormant. Kind of brought him back to a place. He, he, yeah, it was. I got goosebumps so three, yeah, three, three times. Three times. Three times. I want to hear about your book a little bit more, and I want to hear about because this isn't just a book for cyclist this is a book for business people technically this is a book for someone who wants to achieve their fitness goals yeah. that may want to improve just life quality in general it sounds like right this is yeah. this is gold achievement pretty it's gold right? achievement yeah right. can, the, you um, go, can you get into that a little bit? yeah thanks uh, the book uh, will be forthcoming uh, in the not too distant future but right now we have an online program it's called the champions uh, the goal achievement roadmap which i still haven't seen yet it's the goal achievement roadmap you will see <laughs> gotta buy it dude that's called the goal achievement roadmap and uh it's a video course right now and there's a playbook that you use and as you watch the video you go through actually a scorecard where you score yourself on your ability to currently produce the goals we figure out what your strengths and what your weaknesses are and you can use that as a target as to what steps to go to in the playbook to uh, follow the video along as you're doing the exercises with. If you want to use it to uh, take it through uh, 10 linear steps to achieve your goal, you can do that as well. Cool. And the uh, way to get that is www.drjeffspencer.com forward slash roadmap. That would be the link to go to. My website is drjeffspencer.com just for general information. We should take that. You want you want you want to take that and compare notes one day? That'd yeah, be interesting. But I'd be at zero percent, and you'd be <laughs> at like one hundred and fifteen percent. Yeah, that no, would be like no, oh, not the charts cool. Not even no. close. I would love to. I, I, I mean, I'm interested. I think too. you might be. So, I, mean, I think you might be surprised. I would. I, I'm very interested in taking this. Are, this are many people surprised? Oh when my they god! Yeah, you know, well, actually, when they take the goal, the scorecard itself, where they actually score themselves, it's like I didn't realize that I had this much courage. I mean, it really shocks people what they're strong in and what they're not strong in. Are they putting down the them. answers how they want to answer them, or are they being really honest? Or you don't no, know. We, I mean, again, we have to be you know clear about why we do it. You're only discounting yourself yeah, if exactly. you try to you know game the system. Exactly. On it, you know. But again, I just really feel like goal achievement is life's fundamental skill. And if you just think you can work hard and try hard and game the system, it may take you 20 years to get to some place. It could take two to get to. All right. Well, we're gonna. We should put that link up. Yeah. On the I'm site, it. I think that's really interesting. I, I, I think it's incredibly interesting for a lot of the of a lot of our viewers because, you know, people are watching this or they're coming to or they're purchasing the magazine because they want more. I think at the end of the day, everyone whether they can get there or not right now, like Jeff's Jeff's gonna help them with that. But you know, we all want more. We all want better, and that's why we go out there and we get information. So uh, you know, we're gonna be really happy to advertise that for you and throw well, it up there. I appreciate that. And uh, just one other thing, I thought of um, 
kind of the bodybuilding muscle and fitness side to it. In 1972, I was riding and I looked up the road and I saw this V sitting on top of a bicycle. I said, what is that? And so I rode up to it and I looked over and it was someone who became a very good friend of mine. It was Bill Pearl. Wow. Bill got into cycling huh. in the early 70s and we became very fast and furious friends because we both live in Pasadena together. That's where he had his gym and he just got into the cycling. He had cycling mania. So I became kind of his confidant in that and that's how I kind of uh, and I met Dave Draper actually a couple of yeah. years prior to that. So, so yeah. in any event, just to let you know that there's been kind of a strong tie. A little bit of a connection time. there. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. The blonde bomber, that's Dave it. Draper. Yeah. He was the man. That's right. Yeah. No, that was a great era for bodybuilding, too. I really enjoyed how the physiques looked back then. And yeah. For me, that was probably aesthetically, not to knock the guys today, but it was the most pleasing for me. I mean, those are the guys I looked at, and I was like, wow, like that's... I resonate with that era, too. Good. There's a lot to digest here. I mean, specifically because a lot of what you've said really resonates, I feel like, um, not just with me, because I think, you know, the whole, that gap that you were talking about, definitely... I'm someone who's run into that numerous times. You set a goal, and then you don't have a, a model to get there. Yeah. So the frustration does mount. Totally. And yeah, so I'm, I'm very interested in great and in, in, you know, finding a model that works. Great. And I'm, I'm, I'm willing to try because I really do want to. There's a lot that I want to achieve, and I definitely feel that way sometimes because I have a million things going on, and there's times where I just get that, you know. That frustration does build. It does, man. And, 90% uh, of the people got it. Yeah, so def this was uh, this is cool. I and, loved it. Yeah, and thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Dr. Spencer. Well, really thank for you for by. adjusting the pleasure. time, and uh, such a pleasure. No, we were honored to have you in. Yeah. And, you know, the second we heard you were here Thursday, we were like, we got to go. Yeah. Let's no. just reset up the, uh, you know, re reset this all up today. So um, it'll be fun, and I'm excited to launch this one. This one's going to resonate a lot. I think this is going to hit home with a lot of people. I don't think it's only a special... It's not only special because of what we heard about Lance, uh, but I think it's um, it's pretty incredible because I think this is going to be able to relate to uh, a lot of people out there that are struggling to get from point A to point B. Yeah, and whatever the whatever that goal is, it could be physical, it could be professional, it doesn't matter. It's just it's it's and, the, and the, again, I've had those frustrations with both of those cat in both of those categories, and there's a million other categories that you could mm -hmm. have those uh, that that problem with. So, no, I think you're right, man. Awesome. I think it's going to be a really a, a good one for people. So, do you have an Instagram handle? That you uh, want to promote there, Dr. Dr. Jeff Spencer. Oh, that's a simple one. That's hard. So you got uh, you got Don at Don Saladino at Dr. Z Jeff Spencer at Zraz. Maybe I should just change it to my change name. Why don't you change it to your name? Gosh, I know. today I'm going to do it for you. I think it's taken. There's more than one. Ziegler. Yeah. Well, I'll just keep <laughs> we'll it figure it out. Me and you'll talk about it. Cool. Well, again, thank you, Dr. Jeff Spencer. Thank uh, you, thank you uh, Handsome Don. Thank and, you, Handsome uh, Zach. Appreciate this that. This was Muscle and Fitness Reps. We will see you next time. Thank you. Thanks, guys.